radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Uh, today I have an author, educator, engineer, entrepreneur, product designer, manager, professor, musician, author, all in one here in one episode in one episode of um, Agile FM. I'm talking to Adam Browse, who just goes by Browse, San Francisco based. Uh, you can reach him at Adam Browse, no dashes, no blanks or anything in between dot com. And uh, we are here to talk about a few things. Uh, one of them is Nemawashi. We're going to explain that term. We're going to talk about his uh, two books. One of them is published. One of them is in the making, Leading Change at Work. That's the one that's published. And the other one, the um, upcoming book is called Motivate. We might touch on that. Let's see how it goes. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate being here. Awesome. Yes. And congratulations to the to the book release uh, of Leading Change at Work. It's uh, out for a few months. People can get that. Uh, the subtitle of that book is uh, called The Secret Structure. I'm always trying to say the secret sauce, but it's the secret structure of change and how everyone can make it happen. A new way to create bottom-up change in any organization called piecemeal consensus. How do these two things uh, fit together? Piecemeal consensus and Nema Washi. Um, why don't you give your uh, our listeners here right now a little bit of context? Sure, sure. So nemawashi is a Japanese word, uh, and it was invented in about this. Uh, actually, it's, it wasn't invented. It's it's a it's an actual phrase in Japanese. I did some interviewing with some Japanese people and said, "What does nemawashi really mean?" And uh, and but what it means in business is and and in and and to agile and to lean is uh uh is it's a strategy for making change so it's essentially the 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 lean strategy of making change and uh i, I translate it as piecemeal consensus so that's kind of my mm -hmm. translation of it in the past it's been translated as consensus or uh kind of seeing eye to eye or it can even have a sense of kind of backroom deals that's actually kind of the the if you say it in japanese it kind of means like back almost like back channeling but it's but it's very common it's not It, ha it's, it has a sort of nefarious sound, but it actually is very, very common and acceptable to do. It's, it's part of yeah. the uh, Toyota production system, right? It's an integral part. That's right. That's right. So uh, I was really fascinated to find, well, maybe I can tell the story of how I, I kind of came up with this idea and this sort of book. Of and course. then I was encouraged by my peers to... To, to write it up. They said, that's such an interesting story. And like, that's such a great theory. You should, you should, you should write about this. This should really be something you focus on. Mm -hmm. And so I took it upon myself to write it. I was working at a, at a company called Epic, which is the leading software uh, for healthcare uh, records, electronic mm -hmm. medical records company. And it's based in Madison, Wisconsin, shout out to Madison. That's my hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was living and working there for Epic and it's a large company. It's one, it's always listed as one of the best companies to work for because it's kind of got these quirky office buildings and it's got mm -hmm. these sort of fun perks for the employees. Uh, so I was working in the Dungeons and Dragons themed uh, building. So I had, I was, I was living in an elven forest and working in my office there in an elven forest. Uh, it was quite quite fun, um, and my friend and I, uh, who who were kind of um, little entrepreneurs, right? We were kind of entrepreneurs inside the company, and we were always thinking of new ideas. He was working in HR, and he 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 actually used the Epic system 
as a new HR system. So instead of, he, he took the patient records and he turned them into candidate records mm-hmm. and they were doing all their, their HR through the Epic system, which was like this fantastic, just brilliant thing. Yeah. And he got that launched and, and, and I was, I would, we would have these little idea jams. Like I think a lot of people have where they're, mm-hmm. if you're kind of an entrepreneur, you might have your pal that you're kind of saying, Hey, what can we do to make this company better? And I had this idea that it would be great to launch a question and answer platform, much like I was becoming a software engineer at that point uh, while I was working full-time as a consultant. And uh, there's a website called stackoverflow.com that all engineers and probably all PMs know. And I was like, well, why don't we have this for the questions about the electronic medical record? Every day, clients ask me these questions and I've heard them a hundred times. What if they could just find the answers? on this, then I could focus on other things or, you know, it could be better for the company, better for healthcare, which is ultimately better for patients, right? Because it's cheaper and better for everybody. Um, So I said, let's launch this thing. So we made every mistake in the book in in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And we did uh, exactly what I think a lot of people do, uh, which is we went and tried to ask permission. Yeah. Can we get permission? So we went to managers, we went to different sort of bossy sort of type higher up people than us. And we said, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And of course we got all kinds of different answers, most of which were very encouraging, but then gave us a bit of the runaround, right? So I, I named these things in the book. So one, we, we basically encountered what's called permission paralysis. Yes. We kept on asking permission and we didn't move forward at all because we kept asking for permission. And then the bosses, they did uh, what we called yes to death. They yesed us to death. So they just kept saying, yes, you're great. This is great. You're so smart. You're so great. Please, you know, do this. But, oh, you've got to do this and this and this. And you've got to talk to them and you've got to get their sign off and their sign off and their sign off. Anyways, long story short, eventually we just did it. We just created it. And we launched it. We didn't ask it. We just stopped asking permission and we just made it. And then we had to, but then it was just sitting on a server and we needed to get, a, get people onto it. Mm-hmm. So we actually started to have to do almost like an internal marketing kind of growth, word of mouth kind of viral campaign inside the company. It was quite, it was quite a, a kind of exciting ride. And to, to this day, it's one of the most proudest things I've ever done was I launched and it successfully grew to being used by everyone in the company. Right. And it was never sanctioned or announced by any kind of higher up person. It just organically grew inside the company. And to this day, I can say to uh, Epic employees, oh yeah, I built, I built Beetlejuice. And they go like, what? I thought an engineer built that, right? Like the mythology of who actually built it has kind of been forgotten to the sands of time. Um, But, but, but in, when I started to tell this story more and more, I realized what we had done was really different from what a lot of people try to do when they're trying to make a change. Um, because we stopped going and asking permission and we started to just take action, um, it, it really created this, this different strategy. So I started to write that up. I started to teach that in my courses. Okay. And, and, then, uh, and then I started to research more seriously. What is this? And where, where, what, you know, who else has done it this way? And that's when I came across uh, the Toyota Way and the Toyota production system, and especially a tiny, tiny chapter mm-hmm. in that system, which is this Nemawashi. And I said, oh my gosh, this this it, tiny kind of forgotten sort of sideline thing uh, that's actually critical for doing lean and agile properly. Yeah. It, uh, ha- and it's been kind of ignored and forgotten. This is what I did. This is what me and my friend Nico did. Uh, so that was very an exciting moment to kind of realize a kind of kinship across 
thousands of miles, you know, and, yeah. and decades of years and, and across industries uh, from software back to kind of a lean manufacturing. Uh, that was a really uh, cool moment uh, yeah. to do that research and find that. But that's also like, isn't it yeah. a great moment if you read something and then you, you hit that section, it's like, this is exactly what we did. So the confidence in the book at that point must be going through the roof, right? You're like, this is exactly what we did. Um, and uh, it also um, tells you that you're onto something like very similar to the patterns movement we have like in, in, in Agile, et cetera, right? where it's like, this is a proven thing. I can, I can talk from my own experience that this is what we did and, and it worked. It's not a theoretical concept, but why do you think... Um, Nemabashi, or as you call it, like the piecemeal consensus is so, uh, unlocks so much potential in, in organizations out there, the ones that yeah. are using it. Why do, why do they see once they do it, like what you did, right, uh, in, a, in a similar fashion, and why do they hold on to it? A lot of uh, Silicon Valley companies are using it. They are. And actually, what's interesting and kind of funny is they're using it without knowing what it is. Mm. And, and so there's this, there's this weird kind of spectrum of people and companies using it and not using it and none of them know know that it exists really yeah uh, there's very few people who know nimoashi and then if they do know it they know it as a kind of weird japanese thing they mm. don't know it as actually something you can use today to uh make change very rapidly and very peaceably mm. inside your company so it, it's a very uh a very sort of peaceful uh, uh, uh kind of it's not like a like a kind of conflict it's not a conflict based yeah. change system it's a very harmonious based mm -hmm. change system i mean partly you might say well it's because it was invented by japanese people and their culture values yeah. you know har harmony and 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 there is a hierarchy to their to their companies and to their to their to their work um, but they're able to change within the hierarchy which is kind of the exciting thing so i wasn't i wasn't really satisfied to just say, hey, this works, uh, believe me, pr I promise you. So, so in the book, I, I go into the actual mechanics of why Nimawashi works. Mm -hmm. why, why does it work to build a piecemeal consensus mm -hmm. out of one-on-one -on -one conversations with a lot of different people? That's kind of the way Nimawashi works. One-on-one yeah. -on -one conversations, instead mm -hmm. of a big meeting where you present what we're gonna do, right? Yeah. Instead of going off to your offsite for three days, deciding what would it be strategically best and then coming back triumphantly and telling everyone what we're going to do, which is kind yeah. of the main way that change happens in a company. Um, instead of that, instead you stay in the office, you don't go into your offsite, you stay in the office and you talk one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people and you say, well, what's our biggest challenge? What do you think we could do? What do you think of this idea? What do you think of that idea? To one-on-one, -on -one, little one-on-one -on -one conversations. They don't have to be long. They can be 15 minutes long. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of information. And as you're doing that, you're getting information and building consensus at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you're actually building the solution. I mean, you might already have a pretty good idea what the solution is already, but yeah. you're coming in open-minded to those conversations. You're, you're getting more information. You have the ability to still change the idea as you go because you haven't announced it to a thousand people to say what you're going to do. As soon as you do that, you can't really change it or you don't look very good, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I came up with this thing and now I have to change it. So as you have these one-on-one -on -one conversations, you're 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 tweaking or changing, maybe even totally changing completely, 180 degrees changing your idea. But it doesn't really matter. You're kind of moving along, getting better and better. And every time you have a conversation with someone, that person becomes an ally to your idea. Right. They go like, "Wow, I have to really give my my buy-in or my 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 input. Therefore, I have a lot of buy-in." Yeah. So it's this this kind of one by one. And people might say, "Well, how can you do one by one? That's too much time. That's too 
expensive in terms of my time or in terms of the time of the company. Well, that's not actually true because if you have an hour long presentation at, to present your new idea to a hundred people, yeah. right? Then that takes an hour times a hundred plus you, that's 101 hours, mm -hmm. right? But if you only, but if you build this Nimawashi consensus by having 10, 15 minute conversations with a hundred people, and it's just you and one other person, that's 30 minutes times a hundred. That's only, that's only three, 30, right? That's right. Not and very it's also it's only um, expensive on you only, right? Not necessarily on all the other participants. Right. right. So on the whole company. Right. And you can, you can delegate Nimawashi to someone else. So you yeah. can say, Hey, we're a team and I'm the executive. Your job is to go through these Nimawashi conversations. Mm -hmm. So you doesn't even have to take, if you're a leader, if you're a real executive level, the yeah. cool thing about this is it works for anybody. You can be the, the, the guy in the mailroom, or you can be the CEO and you can use Nimawashi to the advantage of yourself and to the advantage of the company and to the profit margin. It, it's a really a, a quite a, a tremendous uh, gains of, of time and money and, and um, and you see it in Toyota. I think Toyota is probably the best place to see this ability um, to change using Nemawashi. So this would be an example of how Nemawashi would scale because that would have been my next question to you, right? So I can mm -hmm. see that on a small scale, I could get involved. Um, I might learn a lot in these Nemawashis myself about my solution. I might actually shape uh, the solutions while I'm going through those 15-minute mm -hmm. uh, conversations. But how does it scale? Is it through mm -hmm. uh, yeah. other people yeah. that translate it's actually. It's actually built for scale. So mm. it's actually it's actually was invented in a huge car company, right? I mean, it was invented yeah. in Toyota and it's actually built for big companies. In a small company, it still works. It mm. still works and it's still worthwhile doing, but it but it it actually is built for scale. So it's, if you're at a, if you're listening to, the, to this and you're thinking maybe I can use Nemawashi and you work at Philips or, you know, Pfizer or something, you well. can. Like it, it's built for that size. Um, the way that it scales to understand it, uh, uh, the way that it scales, um, um, the, I guess the way that it works mechanically, just to understand it, is mm -hmm. is it works because of social networks, mm -hmm. and and there's been there's been growing research ever since the '90s about the power of social networks in uh, companies, right. and you know you have the kind of hierarchical org chart of your company, which, which is great. I talk a lot about in the book how hierarchies are fine. And a lot of people kind of want to, especially creative guys like me, generally want to kind of say, oh, hierarchies are bad and don't have Shook hierarchies. Exactly. Hierarchies are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. People always want to be doing that. I don't really think that's necessary. Hierarchies are good because they do a different job. Hierarchies are execution. Mm -hmm. Okay. The creativity aspect or the entrepreneurship or the change aspect actually happens inside the hierarchy through the social networks between the individuals in the hierarchy. Yeah. That so that's how Nimawashi works is instead of trying to operate your innovation inside the hierarchy, which is what most people do, they say, "Oh, well, if you have a new idea, go talk to your manager." Yeah. It's like, "Well, managers jobs, it's kind of hard to ask managers to both be the gatekeepers of innovation or the promoters of innovation and be the executors of the kind of the goals and will of the company. That's, I think that's kind of unfair to managers. I, I have a soft spot in my heart, especially for frontline managers because their jobs are very difficult, probably yeah. some of the most difficult in the company. And to ask them to then do both those jobs is like, you know, it's like having two masters. It's just, yeah, it's just it's, nuts. It's, it's so I say, old. don't go to your manager. Yeah. yeah, don't go to your manager. Do, do Nimawashi, start talking to 
other people in the company, start talking to your peers, start talking about your, to your peers in other division departments, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, it's and, and then and then build up through the social networks of the company. Right. It's, it's interesting, right? Because um, I've never met people in organizations and I looked at the org chart and, and that was exactly how they ran their business, right? Uh, the org chart is like more like a general guidance and like how we talk. And then when you start, there's like groups that meet and they have like this innovation group or they do this and they do this and none of them is depicted in an org chart, right? So it's organic that there is a, a different right. one, a lot of dotted lines, a lot of, you know, sometimes they call them tribes and, and things like that. So there's a lot of things going on that is not even remotely uh, represented in, in the org chart. And I think both mm -hmm. of those things uh, are a very, uh, a very important uh, in this. But why do you think these top-down companies out there, right? Obviously, all of them would be interested in, in your book, right? Um, by listening to you because it is intriguing and there is a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, it makes, just makes sense because it's, it's not a formality. It's organic. It's, uh, it's the, the whole process of uh, piecemeal consensus here is mm -hmm. why do, why do many organizations struggle? Like, especially the ones with the top down to, to open up to these techniques. Mm. Why, why is that? Yeah. I mean, why, why? Well, I think, I think, I think, I, I think the reason why is because they're presented with uh, a choice that is a false choice. Mm. They're told, you can either be an extremely efficient hierarchical top-down organization, which I will not for one second try to deny the efficiency mm -hmm. of that system, right? That's why the militaries run that way. That's why business businesses that have very, um, very clear um, uh, goals, like, like an insurance business, like you mm -hmm. just take the actuarial tables, you charge the customers and you, you file the claims. I mean, it's yeah. just... There's not really that much. I mean, you might be able to adopt IT or something, but the, the business model is not going to really innovate. You right. really just need efficiency. So right. the hierarchy and the top down makes a lot of sense. Those people are then told, oh, if you want to innovate, you have to throw out the efficiency of that hierarchy. That That's wrong, I think. Yeah. In my opinion, that's wrong. I think it's, it's, it's important to understand that there's a, a third way. There's a third way. You don't have to go be... Uh, uh, what's called a holacracy, right? Where there's no hierarchy and everyone's just kind of like floating around like amoebas in, 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 mm. in, in, a, in a Petri dish. <laughs> you can still have the hierarchy and you can have all the efficiencies of the hierarchy. If you add Nimawashi and you train people in Nimawashi, you will also be able to have extremely rapid on a dime change mm. that isn't uh, rash and isn't done uh, without without checking with everyone. Because through Nimawashi, you check with everyone, you get a lot of information and you are rapidly able to build buy-in and do a change in, 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 in a moment, even in a large company. Great example is Toyota itself. I put in the book, the story of the development of the Lexus engine. Mm -hmm. So when the Lex Lexus, as you know, is a brand of Toyota, it's just a yeah. separate, you know, still Toyota, yeah. but it's their luxury brand. And, and we all think of Lexus as probably being around forever, but actually there was a time when Lexus didn't exist. Toyota was just the kind of Volkswagen for the, it was a kind of car for the people right. and it didn't have a luxury high-end brand. And there was a, there was a, what? Yeah. And then, yeah. In the nineties, I think, yeah, there was a, there was a young, there was a man who said in, in, in Toyota who said, you know what, we can build an engine to the specifications of a BMW or a Mercedes engine. And everyone said, you're crazy. And he, and he literally was crazy in a sense because the machine, the, the level of precision that he, that would need to be in the engine was greater than the tools they were currently using in the factory. 
So he was suggesting building an engine with a higher degree of ref, ref, you know, refined uh, tuning than the, the machines themselves that they were using, the machines that you use to build the machines. Right. And he said, you know what? Give me, give me the top engineers from each department to come and work, do a working group with me for a little while and we'll hand build an engine. Right. So we'll sit and we'll hand grind each valve and we'll hand, you know, and by doing this hand built engine, all the engineers figured out solutions to all the problems of building an engine to this specification right. in mass in, 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 produ in a production line. And they were able to build it. And so that they were able to do something that, that, you know, Toyota's not, a, we think of Toyota as an innovative kind of agile company because they came up with the hybrid and they and they and they they are able to change and do things fast but actually toyota in japan is known as an extremely hierarchical conservative extremely strictly right. uh, uh delineated yeah. kind of you're the lower down i'm the higher up i'm the manager you're the the, the you know the the lower you know worker yeah. um and even with that extraordinarily strict hierarchy and conservatism i mean the the top yeah. leaders of toyota are not they're not wearing like, you know, pink sweaters to their, their daughter's graduations. You know, they're like wearing black suits and black ties. And, you know, yeah. even then that company is able to, was able to turn on a dime and continues to be able to make extremely innovative moves right. because they use Nemawashi. And they say, let's use Nemawashi to get this across the line. Let's use Nemawashi. Let's do that. Yeah. So that, that is super interesting. We're going to see, obviously, now the automobile industry is in turmoil again, right? So we're going to see what kind of company is going to uh, turn on the dime again, right? Because there are certain changes mm -hmm. that disrupt the industry right now. So we're going to monitor those things as well. Now, I want to take you a little bit into your neck of the woods in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. Um, you probably have better insights on, uh, you know, these kinds of things, uh, how they're being applied in that region. And uh, we do know that out of the Silicon Valley, there is a lot of innovation coming out. Uh, innovation that is influencing the world, not only the United States. So mm -hmm. do you see uh, a relationship between these techniques as well as the rate of innovation, the rate of change? I do, I do. And I and I think it's, we have to be kind of careful when we talk about there being like a lot of innovation, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, I always like to think of 1910 as actually when there was a, 1910, the year 1910, as when there was actually a lot of innovation Mm -hmm. Right. Because we went from having no planes to having planes and we went from having no telephones to having telephones. Right. To, so there was, you know, these were monumental, yeah. total revolutions in people's lives. Today, innovation is, you know, phone plus one. Mm -hmm. Right. iPhone eight, iPhone nine, iPhone 10. It's just phone plus one right. each year. And, you know, we have this kind of there's this promise of the Internet of Things, but it really it hasn't really materialized to be something super Anyway, super. I would love to see massive innovation, like mm -hmm. to completely transform the way we do healthcare, completely transform the way we do transportation. Mm -hmm. But we actually are not seeing that really so much. We're really just seeing a kind of, you know, um, and maybe that'll come with AI or it'll come with other Please. other things. But Please. anyways, there is a relationship between the rate of change, though. So, for example, Amazon is I, I put it as a poster child for Nimawashi in the book. So Amazon uses a, uh, a, a system that is, it's it sort of, it uses the same process as Nimawashi, where it, it pulls the best ideas up from the bottom of the company all the way up to the top. Mm -hmm. And it, it's these six page reports. Maybe you know about this. Each, so each year, 
at your at, at each yearly report, uh, all everyone writes these six page reports, and then managers summarize their reports reports, and then they push those up, and then those managers summarize those reports, and then push those up, and right. it ends up at the at the top, you know, with Jeff Bezos and his and his you know crew at the top looking at you know something like forty reports and trying to pick where the company's gonna mm. move in the next year. And, and by doing that, it, it kind of pulls all the best ideas up through the hierarchy. And that makes it be able to have the best ideas acted upon. That's mm -hmm. why they beat Google to the Alexa. They beat Google to the home assistant and Siri. They, right. they beat both Apple and Google to the punch with that. Uh, they also, you know, developed Amazon Web Services before it was cool to have web services. They right. took over. Uh, I don't know how much, Maybe. something like 30% or 60% of the internet is, is Amazon Web Services. And they did the same thing with on, on same day delivery. And, you know, now Google's running to catch up with Google Express. And um, um, so so I think Amazon is, 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 I think, a great example of this. Um, they don't necessarily do pure, what, what would be called like a pure Nemoashi, where people are really doing these kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And um, But their system of decision-making is based on bottom-up change, which, bottom -up which change. is a kind of Nemoashi-esque mm -hmm. style. Um, they, they could, I think they could be even better if they adopted like a full decentralized Nemoashi where they really told people, Hey, start having these conversations, start building a consensus piecemeal around your ideas. I think new things would come even faster for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Google, I think is unfortunately a sort of example of kind of a down, a downward spiral of innovation. Um, you know, we remember Google back in the day, <laughs> you know, back mm -hmm maybe when it launched in the first probably, you know, five or eight years since when it launched, um, being extraordinarily innovative. And, and if you read, if you read about the, and it's in the book, actually, if you read about the policies that were put in place, they were without knowing it because they didn't know the word Nemoashi, they didn't know about piecemeal consensus, but just by Larry Page's and, and, and Sergey Brin's intuition, they put policies in place that supported Nemoashi that, right. that instigated one-on-one -on -one conversations and people building little cadres that then would, you know, would emerge into products or emerge into uh, mm -hmm. changes. Um, and now Google, ever since, essentially ever since Google Plus, they stopped having, they kind of got rid of 20% time in practice. I mean, it's still on the books, but they kind of got rid of 20% time. At least people I, who work there that I know right. say that's not really a thing yeah. really. And then ever since really Google X emerged, you know, Google X became, oh, that's where all the innovation happens, yeah. which kind of meant, hey, don't do innovation at your desk anymore because yeah. Google X is doing it. You know, that's where the weather balloons and the self chat, which is all cool stuff. But when you go for those moonshots like that, I think you, when you separate, that's called a skunk works. Mm. When you separate out innovation from your company and you say there's a skunk works over here, that kind of gives frontline managers this way to brush off new ideas that people are having. Cause they're like, well, this isn't Google X, like go do your, you know, go keep making the Google ads better or go yeah. keep making the search better. Don't tell me about your like crazy idea. Cause this isn't Google X that's Google X. You'd have to apply to change over to Google X. Right. Yeah. So it kind of separates innovation out of your company. And that's a bad, that's bad. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone make a skunk works. Mm -hmm. I would say leave everything happening inside the company and create space inside the company through right. people's 20% time 
well, to create space for people to be doing that work. To your point, right? So that would be not organic anymore. Would you only be organic in one element of the company? It's just a piece of it, right? right? So how would you right. get change into other parts of the organization? Exactly. Uh, exactly. This is really fascinating um, uh, listening to you about some of those ideas and how you make the connects to the book. People can obviously pick up that book, Leading Change at Work. Um, uh, there is another book, and just by the end of our uh, podcast, we're recording this in December 2020. Uh, there was another book on the horizons called Motivate. Uh, just, just to um, maybe cliffhanger here for people on the listening to this sure. podcast. What is this all about? It's, uh, it's a book, the science of yeah, yeah. grit and success. Uh, it's going to come out soon. Uh, what can you tell about the book yeah. before we close out? Yeah. Well, uh, it's a book about. Um, Essentially, I came to education uh, late to the game. I didn't get an education degree. I wasn't a grade school teacher outside out of college. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I became a software engineer first. I became a product manager first. I became an entrepreneur first. And then I came to education. And when I arrived in education, I said to myself, I had the intuition that, well, obviously, the best way to educate people would just get to get them as motivated as possible and then get the hell out of their way. Mm -hmm. I just thought that that seemed like the best way to run a school, to make a school, to make, you know, my classrooms. And so I started to research around all the theories of education, you know, John Dewey and Montessori and, 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 you know, Waldorf and all the different kind of, you know, Piaget, all the different theories of education. And nobody said that mm -hmm. nobody said how to just motivate people to the move, just to the roof. And then you won't be able to stop them from learning a lot. Right. Anyway, so I realized, well, this is not, this is like something that needs to be said. This is something that needs to be sort of described how to do this. And, mm -hmm. and so I, so I decided to write this book and, and explain how I, I do it. Cause I was able to be the, 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 the lead of a, a small college called make school, mm -hmm. which is open for admissions. Please. If anyone wants to go to college and learn how to be a software engineer, come to make school, uh, go to make school.com and, and sign up. Um, but, uh, and I still am an instructor at make school. Um, but I was the program lead and I got to design the whole school. And mm -hmm. so I designed a school based on this idea of motivating, uh, people just to the, to the, uh, just to the roof. And, uh, and we've had great success. We have 90% per, uh, placement rate, uh, within six months of graduation with uh, an average salary of a hundred thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. which is, I think better than probably any college. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's like a pretty absurd, uh, yeah. level of success that we've had. Uh, and we don't, by the way, take the, the creme de la creme. I mean, our students are great, but a lot of our students are saying, I, I you know, I want to go to this alternative school because I'm not, I'm not going to go to mm -hmm. a more traditional school that might say, oh, you need to have a high SATs or you need to have a high GPA. Yeah. A lot of our students are saying, oh, I, I don't actually have that high of grades. I don't have that high of SAT. I'll go to this kind of alternative school. And even then we're able to turn them into total rock, just total rock stars and total slam dunk successes. And I think a lot of that goes back to the, the structures that, that I put into the, into the, the school. So yeah, it's an exciting book. It's coming out probably by, you know, February, March. Um, if you're interested in education or if you're interested in motivating people at a, in a work environment, I think it'll still have a lot exactly. to say yes. about that. Um, and, and, and especially if you're running a kind of corporate training or a kind of educational thing for, for your workers, this is a really, really uh, uh, one of a, this is a new book. Like you will not read what I put into the book anywhere else. Yeah. Um, it's really, really a stunner. Uh, it's kind of one of, it's kind of a magnum opus. I've been writing it for a number of years and, yeah. and it's quite good and I've, fun I've, to read too. 
Adam, I really think this is the it's the key link you just made to uh, corporate learning. Like if you're thinking about change, change is something new, uh, you, at least for the people involved in the change. Uh, and that was the aspect we just talked about and Nemavashi and et cetera, right? But what I really think, and uh, just want to build that bridge and maybe we can talk about this once the book is out, one more round on, on Agile FM. I think the real thing is, uh, you know, with change comes education and uh, how do you motivate through education? And I think there's a great link to uh, corporate learning. So even if your book is about schools, if somebody puts the glasses on and reads through those things in terms of corporate learning, oh, fantastic. So uh, totally. I mean, totally. I can't wait to see that. I, even 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 yeah, especially in a knowledge based work environment. I mean, even most of the work I think a lot of knowledge workers do is learning. Yeah. You know, like you have to learn about your employee. You have to learn about your customers. You have to learn about uh, different industries. You have to learn, and so and so creating a, a, a company that is a, a highly motivational learning environment is exactly mm -hmm. what knowledge based companies should do. And so yeah, it does have connections to that. Um, um, as well, uh, but you will have to put on the lenses a little bit because um, unfortunately I'm not, I feel like I read about how to be a good author and they say, <laughs> write three books about the same genre, you know, and I go, oh, but I have so many, uh, I want to talk about all these different things. Right. So no, that's not your job. If, that's if, the job if, of the reader to put the yeah. on and, and read through that. So no, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I well, he, yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if, if you become a fan of my writing, it'll always be something different. I hardly ever go back to the yeah. same thing, you know? So it's kind of a fun, I kind of keep things fresh. Right. Adam, this was a, was a pleasure to, uh, you know, speaking with you about all these things. Can't wait for the next book. And uh, again, adambrowse.com, if you want to uh, see, learn more um, about him. Thank you. And maybe uh, we can follow and continue the conversation about Motivate coming up soon. Sure, sure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. This has been really great. And I love the podcast. Keep it real. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.